0: Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Together were Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we also will come with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? And they answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net over the right side of the boat and you will find something. So they cast it and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment, for he was lightly clad, and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards, dragging the net with the fish. When they climbed out on the shore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went over and dragged the net ashore, full of 153 large fish. Even though there were so many, the net was torn, was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over and took the bread and gave it to them, and in a like manner, the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He then said to Simon Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. O men, O men, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But you, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, Jesus said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, you are indeed a good, good Father. Jesus, you are our good brother. We thank you that you've come to meet us in this place today. We open our hearts up to you, Lord. Speak to us by your spirit what you know we need. We pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So a podcast I like to listen to uh, pointed me to this article that I looked up by, uh, about a guy named Jim Stigler. He's a professor and a researcher who was studying the differences between Asian classrooms and American classrooms. And he tells a story of visiting a fourth grade classroom in Japan. And the class that day was working on a project where they're all learning how to draw a 3D cube. And there was one boy in the class who was just struggling. He couldn't get it. His cube was all sort of warped and not straight. And the teacher said, well, why don't you go up to the board and put your cube on the board? And Stigler thought immediately, like, well, that's interesting. She's taking the kid who's struggling with this and having him put it on the board. In America, what we would do is we'd take the kid who's got it right and say, go put that on the board so it can be an example to the rest of the class. So he does. He goes up to the board, and he's trying to draw this cube, and he's not getting it. And and so the teacher would pause every so often and say to the rest of the class as they're working at their desk and say, is this correct? And the class would look up and, and shake their heads. Nope, nope, and go back to their work. Stigler says that at this point, he starts getting really anxious. Like, he goes, I'm I'm in the back of the room, I'm like sweating, because I'm thinking, this kid, he's going to like break down in tears at any moment, I feel so bad for him. He just kept working. Kept working away at it, and eventually he was able to get it. He got it, got it just right. And at that moment, the teacher then said to the class, class, is this correct? And they looked up, and they said, yes, he did it! And they started clapping for him, and he had a big smile on his face, and went back to his seat. He was proud of what he did. Stigler then tells another story of, uh, they gave, a, in their research, they gave a, an impossible math problem to solve. They gave it to a group of first graders, American classroom, Japanese classroom, to see what they would do. He said the American kids, they kind of worked on it, realized they weren't going get to get it, they gave up on it within about 30 seconds. He said in the Japanese classroom, they continued to work on that problem for an hour. They would not give up on it. And eventually the researchers had to tell the kids, like, look, kids, you're not going to be able to solve this problem because it's actually an impossible math problem. And he said, those first graders looked at us like, what kind of monsters are you? You know, to give first graders a problem like this. Now, the point of me saying all of this is not to say, well, you know, Asian classrooms are better than American classrooms because they certainly, we certainly have strengths that, that they don't. But my point is saying that in this particular instance, Stigler observed that We Westerners, we Americans have this idea that if I'm struggling, I'm just not smart. Some of you have felt that before. If I'm struggling, well, then I just must not be smart. See, smart people don't struggle. They just, they get it. But in that Asian culture, they actually see that struggle as an opportunity to test out and see, do you have that emotional strength within you to persevere in the midst of that struggle? They see it as possibly, potentially a good thing, we Americans tend to see that kind of struggling as weakness. We parents, there's a lot of parents here this morning. I mean, we don't want our kids to fail, right? We don't want them to struggle. We want our kids to win. Used to call it being a helicopter parent. You've probably heard the term before, right? Parents kind of helicopter in to catch the kid before they fall and fail and get hurt. Now they're called being a lawnmower parent. They just mow down everything in the way so the kid doesn't even have to stumble or trip or fall or struggle. And then we wonder why is, and this has been going on, by the way, for several generations, so don't you parents think you're the only ones like, Stigler's research, by the way, was like in the 70s, like when I was a kid, so this is my generation too. But we've had several generations now where we don't know what to do when we struggle. And we don't know what to do when we fail. We've convinced ourselves this idea of the prodigy, right, which is a myth, but the person who's just naturally gifted, they don't have to work at it, they don't have to struggle, and they're just simply going to be, su- they're going to be successful. And then those of us who struggle, we think it means this, that if I'm struggling, I'm failing. And if I'm failing, well, then that means I'm a failure. Right? Because winners win, and losers lose. People who fail are failures, and failure is final. That's how we see it. Instead of saying, no, wait, I, I, can't, I learned to accept my, my struggles and my failures, and actually, I learn from them. In fact, sometimes I can receive something even greater from those moments in life. And that's what our readings today are all about. If all you ever did and all you ever knew about St. Peter was the story I read first, the one from Acts, you'd say, Prodigy, this guy, he was so strong and so bold and so courageous, he stood up to this council, the Sanhedrin that was threatening him and they told him to, you know, stop preaching in that name. And he's like, we can't stop. We gotta do what God asks us to do. And they threaten him. And in fact, it wasn't in the reading, they end up beating the apostles. And so he says, when they leave the council, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. If that's the only thing you ever knew about Peter, you'd go, wow, that's strong, what courageous. He stood up to them. But if you do know the story of Peter and you know the backstory, you're like, yeah, no. <laughs> No, 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 no. That strength that Peter had that day, it comes because one day he had breakfast with Jesus. So we got to rewind the tape a little bit, about three or so months before this. Rewind the tape. It's the biggest night of Peter's life. It's the night that Jesus gives to Peter and the disciples the gift of the Holy Eucharist. But you got to realize that when he says, do this in remembrance of me, not only is he giving us this sacrament of his body and his blood, he's making his 12 disciples into his first pastors. He's telling them, this is the work in the ministry I want you to do. You're going to do this in remembrance of me. This is how you're going to feed people and feed their spiritual life with this great sacrament. And Peter then is the leader of all of them. So this night, it's the biggest night, he's being ordained, he's being called into the holy ministry, and Peter's the leader of all these apostles, these disciples. He's the chief, he's the the prince of the apostles. Biggest night of his life, and within a few hours comes the biggest failure of his life. If you do know his story from scriptures, this is a guy who blundered constantly, but never like this never like this. He had promised Jesus, Jesus, I I will never leave you. I I will die for you. And Jesus warned him what was coming, what he was going to do. Before the night's over three times, I don't know that man. He turns his back on Jesus. I don't know that man. I don't know that man. Second time. Third time, I don't bleepity bleep 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 know that man. In his version of it, John gives us these sort of background details that help us read into what is going on with Peter. First of all, he tells us it's night, so it's dark. And he tells us that it's cold. So Peter Peter is huddling over a charcoal fire, trying to warm himself. And now he's hanging out with the very people who had just arrested Jesus. And the point John's making is this, that Peter's heart had grown dark and cold and he's not standing with Jesus anymore. Now he's standing with his enemies. So when that rooster crowed and he remembered what Jesus had said and that he was, this was what was going to happen, he must have been devastated. He must have thought to himself, epic failure like that has got to be final. I'm disqualified. Everything Jesus just said a few hours ago, it, it's, it's over. That apostle thing, I'm done, I'm sure. I have no doubt. Which is why now, as we go to our gospel reading, it's probably why Even after Jesus was risen from the dead, he said, let's go fishing. Apostle things over, let's go fishing. Did you notice he failed at that too? They caught nothing. They caught nothing that night. Peter isn't just failing, Peter is a failure. And then Jesus shows up on the shore. Put your net in on the other side. They catch a mother load of fish. They can't even drag them all in. Jesus had once said to them, apart from me, you can do nothing, or apart from me, you're going to catch nothing. And John, his friend, says to Peter, it's the Lord. And then Peter does something absolutely ridiculous. He puts his clothes on and then plunges into the sea and swims the shore ahead of the boat. What? What? John is, again, giving us these details so we can read into and understand what's happening. This account, friends, is so brilliantly, beautifully baptismal. Because when we're baptized, we're plunged into the sea. And our baptism means that failure is not final. Because when we come up out of that water (gasps) and gasp that new breath, it is a brand new start on our lives. And when we come to holy baptism, we've got nothing. We're stark naked. But in baptism, we are clothed. We're clothed in Jesus and everything that Jesus has done for us. So as Peter gets to the shore, sopping wet, Jesus is there and says to him and the disciples, come have some breakfast. And he's serving them fish and bread. Again, John wants us to go boop flashback let's go back to john chapter 6 that great miracle where jesus took a few bread a few pieces of bread and a few fish and he fed 5000 people the great thing about the miracle though is that Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach us the food that we really need that he wants to give to us. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I remain in them. And there on the beach it was a charcoal fire so that Peter could warm himself. And it wasn't night anymore. Now it was dawn. The brightness of the morning was shining. And once again, Peter is standing with Jesus. And just to make sure that he's got it, that he knows he's forgiven, that he's not disqualified, that his failure is not final, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? So that Peter can undo the three times when he said, I don't know the man, to... Now he can say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus is not badgering him with three questions. You know, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you mean it this time, Peter? No. But I do love when the third time comes around, it says Peter was just discouraged, distressed. He he was grieving that Jesus would ask him this the third time. Because Jesus knew Peter needed to struggle now. He needed to dig down deeper into his sorrow for what he had done so that Jesus could pick him up and lift him up and restore him. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus could have lowered the boom on him right there. Yeah, you're right. I do know everything, and I know what you did. I know that you denied me three times, Peter. After everything that I have done for you, all that I have given you, you were going to be my man, Peter. You know what, Peter? I'm done with you. You failed me, and failure is final. That's it. Now, one more time, Peter, feed my sheep. You're not disqualified. Get back to being that pastor I called you to be feed my sheep with the food they really need. And just like he did the very first time Jesus met Peter, he invites him one more time, follow me. Follow me. Struggling is not failure and failure is not final. Hear me again, please. Struggling is not failure and failure is not final. We're here this morning, friends, not because some guy died 2,000 years ago on a Friday. We're here this morning because a man who is also our God died on a Friday some 2,000 years ago, but he rose on a Sunday. It wasn't final. It wasn't final. We're here this morning, friends, because it is a warm, bright, brand new morning, and we are standing with Jesus, and he's standing with us. And every one of us here has a choice. Failure is final if you let it be. If you stop, if you just give up on the struggle, if you let your failure define you, then yes, failure is final. Or we once again have that chance to pray like Peter and say, Lord, you know everything. You, you, you know that I failed. You know I'm struggling. And you know I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying. But I need you, Lord. I can't do anything without you. Yeah. And you know, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to every one of you this morning, please don't go, yeah, he says that to everybody else. No, no. Jesus says this to you this morning. Yeah, I know. I do know you love me. And that's why I'm here this morning, says Jesus. Your struggle is not failure, and your failure is not final. So come follow me. Come follow me.